Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you so much for coming and joining us this evening and celebrating the birth of God's Son. I'm guessing that every one of us have one or two favorite songs that are sung at Christmas. I've uh, had my car radio on 104.5 for the last several weeks. You know, you know what station that is, right? The, the Christmas station. And so while I've been driving, I've heard about every Christmas song there is. Songs about Rudolph and Frosty and Santa and listening to snow and coming home for Christmas and all of those uh, fun songs. And I've also heard many great songs written about the birth of Jesus Christ. And I've, I don't know, it might be that it's... Uh, one of my favorite songs, it might be that it's a song that was played uh, uh, 41 years ago uh, this month on the 22nd when Becky and I got married. It was played just before the song that was going to be played when Becky came walking down the aisle. So, you know, it's been a pretty important uh, song for me. So that might be the reason why I'm biased toward that song, but it, it's a song, Oh Holy Night. Interesting story about this song. It was written in 1847 by a Frenchman, a man by the name of Placide Capot. He was a wine seller by trade, but he was also a very good poet. And he lived in this small French town, and in that same town there was a Catholic church, and the priest of that church asked Capot if he would write a poem, a Christmas poem that would be written out of uh, the second chapter of Luke's gospel. And uh, the interesting thing uh, with all of this is that Capot was not uh, a Christian, but um, and not only that, that he wasn't known as a follower of Christ, but he was, uh, he was also known as a hellraiser in that town. He was a man who was far from God. He had nothing to do with Jesus Christ or with the church. But he was a very good poet. And so he wrote this poem, and, and uh, he, he loved it so much, he, he felt so good about it that he asked a friend of his, who also happened not to be a believer, but who was a musician, he asked him if he would write the, put it to music. And so this song uh, became so popular that it ran throughout the uh, Catholic Church. It was sung in all sorts of churches. And after a few years into it, when the leaders of the church realized who had written this song and they had nothing to do with Jesus Christ, they tried to shut the song down. But by then it was uh, too late. It was a song that it was massively popular as it is today. There's a, there's a lot that I, I love about this song. And so many good words and phrases, the way it's put, but there's one phrase that uh, caught my attention this year that I'd like to focus on, where I think uh, Capot must have been a, uh, must have had a lot of feeling, you know, kind of the, our artist sort of a, of a guy, and, and, uh, and he not only captured the feelings of so many people in the world in which Mary and Joseph lived under the oppression of the Roman government. But, 
but also I believe the feelings of people in his own day and in our world today. It's this phrase in, in the first verse of this song where, where he writes this, a, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Okay, why don't we say that all together, okay? A weary world. So let's, I'll count one, two, three. Weary world. Good. Uh, you know, if, if there's two words that accurately describe our world today, I, I'd say it's a weary world that we live in. There's so much that's overwhelming people these days, a, a lot of anxiety and, and worry. And in our own nation, people are, are wondering, you know, what's going on with the economy? There's still quite a bit of job insecurity, and there's all of the health care stuff that's been going on, and and then gun violence and shootings on the streets and in our schools and marriages and families struggling. And then there's the, the broader world, um, unimaginable weather-related disasters and terrorism, civil wars, disease, hunger, hundreds of thousands of refugees right now fleeing from one nation to another. It is a weary world that we live in. It's always been. And, and I realize that we come to an evening like this, we, we all come to Christmas in, in many different places when it comes to what can make life weary. 2013 might have been an absolutely great year for you, and there's been very little that would make you weary. And I and, and if that's true for you, I, I rejoice with you. I, I say, like, way to go. That's great. I've had those kind of years, and you want to you be thankful for every one of those when, when you have them. Or it's possible you would say to me, you know, Steve, there have been uh, a few things that have happened in my life this year that have really made this year a, a little more than weary for me. It might be that you're coming here this evening, and, and all you are is weary. Weariness might be the reason that you're here. Right now, you're, you're feeling pretty helpless, and, and you're, looking, you're looking for hope, like, like Calvin in the video we just watched. You know, I, um, I'll be honest with you. Until 2011, when our son Greg died, I don't think I really understood how weary a person can become. And how it changes so much about an evening like this. So it, it means more to me now than, than it ever has, you know, to, to encourage you and to give you hope this evening. And, and, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity because what this song says is really true. There, there is a thrill of hope that's found in Christmas that, that gives every one of us reason to rejoice, all of us. Wherever you might be in your, in your own life right now. And it's the birth of God's Son that it really happened. The birth of God's Son. The birth of God's Son on this earth. And, and what this means for every one of us. I've got a question for you. How many of you have... Um, 
had the privilege of being in a family portrait. Anybody? Raise your hands if you've ever, ever done that. Moms, how, how many of you moms have had the opportunity of trying to get your family to do a family portrait? Yeah, right? You know, you, know. Yeah, you know the fun thing about family portraits? There's always a story around it. There's something that happened before the camera clicked and something that happened after. Like, uh, you know, I remember when years ago we took our family to have a family portrait at, at, uh, at, at Penny's. And, and our son threw up, you know, when we finished. And... And we got out of there as quickly as we possibly could. You know, that, you know, things happen with family pictures. We don't have a family picture of Mary and Joseph with their newborn son. All we have is a one-sentence description of where they were the night Jesus was born. And, and these two verses from Luke chapter 2, it, we read this. While, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I mean, many of us have heard that read many, many, many times in our lives. There's one more verse that I think gives us an idea of what it must have looked like that night, what, what might have been included in a picture if, if Mary and Joseph had had, you know, had, had something done like that, a picture taken, if they could have done that. And it describes what a, what a group of shepherds did when the angels had left them. And Luke wrote about it. He, he writes, so they hurried off and, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. It's kind of fun, you know. There's been a lot that's been done with, with this picture of, Mary and Joseph and, and the baby and all the different manger scenes that have been created through time and, you know, including the shepherds and all kinds of animals. And whether it was in a, you know, whether that manger scene is a cave or a barn, it's, it's always the cleanest, coziest cave or barn that you could ever imagine. And, and the animals, you've got these fluffy white sheep and you've got very clean and and well-behaved cows, and, and if there are dogs or any other animal or cat in the picture or whatever, you know, they're always sitting in perfect attention and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and when the truth is, there isn't, there isn't a manger scene that comes close to what Mary and Joseph experienced that night. I mean, cows are cows, right? And sheep are sheep. Uh, cows are dirty, they smell. Sheep are dirty, they smell. And, and, and they're not trained to, to, to moo or, or baa when it comes time to do their thing, you know. They just didn't do that. And if there was any hay or straw in that place, I've, I've handled both. And I can tell you that, that hay and straw, both of them, they're dusty and they're dirty. <laughs> I mean, this is not a place anyone would have chosen to have a baby, Mary gave birth in about as uninviting and, and really unsterile environment as possible. And, and added to this, they didn't have any epidurals back then, you know. And so I'm, I'm guessing this is not a pretty scene. Everything about it would have made a person very weary. And this after an 80 to 120 mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a, a trip that at the very best Mary traveled by donkey, and we don't even know that. 
We can only imagine how difficult this must have been. Easy to understand why it would have made both Mary and Joseph very, very weary, physically, emotionally, and, but, but not without hope. It was hope that the absolute thrill of a hope that God's promise was being fulfilled that, that gave them overwhelming joy that evening. See, I, I'm convinced this is true because there are some things that you never forget. Mary would never forget God's angel appearing to her and telling her that she would give birth to the Son of God and so, that, so that when Luke came to her years later, which he did, I don't know if you realize or not, but Luke was a physician. He was very detailed, very meticulous in and, and wanting to, give a very, to, to write down a very careful record of everything that took place in the life of Jesus Christ. And, and so years later, after Christ's death and resurrection, Luke came to Mary and, and he asked her about that night. And Mary told him and she, she said, this angel came to me and, and of all things the angel said, don't be afraid. I mean, can, can you imagine that? Yeah, don't be afraid, the angel, my presence. And, and the angel said, you found favor with God and you give birth to a son and and you're to give him the name Jesus, and, and he will be great, and, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and his kingdom will never end. Same with Joseph. God's angel appeared to him and gave him the same message. And, and there really, there, there's no greater hope any person can have than, than the promise given to Mary and Joseph. This, this newborn child, this little boy would become their savior and their king. And, and not only theirs, but the savior and Lord of all who trust in him. That's what sustained Joseph and Mary that night. And in the, in the midst of their weariness, it's what gave them the greatest joy any person could possibly have. And friends, the same can be true for every one of us here this evening. <laughs> this really is what Christmas is all about. It's God bringing the thrill of hope into our world, into our daily lives. So hope that comes with knowing that God, God cares deeply for every single one of us. Whatever it is that we're facing. God entering into life with you and with me and understanding what life is like for us and God able to sympathize with us and God promising to be with us, to strengthen and guide us. God never leaving us alone. If Mary and Joseph needed a, a little bit more faith building that evening, they got it from the shepherds, these these men showing up, telling them about the angels breaking out of heaven and, and announcing the birth of God's Son. It doesn't get any better than this. And I love what Mary told Luke that she did after it was all done, after it was all over and the shepherds left and everybody was, was gone and it was just her and Joseph and, and the baby. She said, I treasured up all these things in my, in my heart and I pondered on them. And the years pass, the years pass, and Joseph dies. And Mary lives to see her son, Jesus, grow into a young man. And then begin his public ministry, and, 
She hears him teach and she sees his power to be, do the miraculous. As, as any mother would be, I, I, I'm sure that Mary was so proud of her son. But also imagine her struggle. When she heard the religious leaders attacking Jesus, uh, accusing him of things he never said or, or did, threatening him, imagine, imagine how her heart sank when, when many of the people who had followed him turned away from him when they understood the cost that would be involved. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I wonder if Mary didn't have the highest highs and the lowest lows as the mother of Jesus. As, as amazing as it must have been for her, I wonder if there weren't some very worrisome and weary days for her as her mother. And then he's arrested, and he's tried, and he's sentenced to death. And along with everybody else, Mary sees her bruised and bleeding son led away to be crucified. And she sees it happen, every horrific part of his crucifixion. She, she sees it all. And she helplessly watches him die. Here's what got my attention, it always has. You read through the Gospels, and you won't find anywhere that Mary doubted that, that her son was the son of God. If, if there was anyone who could have proved him otherwise, it was his mother. It was Mary. If he wasn't who he said he was, and, and she knew it. And things started going south. It all started getting bad for him. She would have done everything she could to, to, to get him to stop his charade. But she didn't say a word. And the reason she didn't is she, she knew what she knew. She knew that she had never had sexual intimacy with any man that resulted in her pregnancy with Jesus. She, she knew that his, his conception in her was miraculous. And she would never forget the words of God's angel. When he said, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then there was the life he lived. You know, if I, if I claimed to be the Son of God, it would, it would not take an hour for me to prove to my mother otherwise. You know, not even an hour it would take. Mary had 33 years to watch her son. And there wasn't a minute that he created an ounce of doubt in her mind. You see, this is what sustained Mary and, and, and gave her hope as she stood at the foot of the cross on which her son died. And as much, as much as she witnessed the miracle of his birth and saw the life that he lived... She was now perhaps witnessing even a greater miracle. And that's the miracle of his death. The, the eternal son of God who, who became her own flesh and blood. One with her in, her in his humanity, her humanity. Now dying for her sin. Oh, everybody, don't miss this. This is what is so wonderfully significant about Christmas. 
It's God becoming one with us in our humanity and and then living a sinless life and making it possible for him to take our sin on himself and bearing God's judgment as he died on that cross. (laughs) As much as I could never claim to be God, I could never die for another person's sin. And I don't think, I know none of us could. Because I'm as much a sinner as anybody else. But Jesus could because he never sinned. And so he's crucified and he dies and then he's buried. And the men who followed Mary's son go into hiding and and one day passes and then another. But the third day changes everything. I, I don't know why, but I've... I have never thought of this before. Imagine what it was like for Mary the first time, the first time she saw her resurrected son. I mean, it gives me goosebumps to think how how wonderful that moment must have been for her. If there had been any lingering doubt, for her to know at that moment with absolute certainty that everything the angel said about her son was true. He is the son of God. He he came to be the savior of mankind. And his kingdom will never end. Will never end. And where was Mary when it was all said and done? You know, in, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there, there are four Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and they're all about the life of Jesus. And, and, and then the book that comes after that is the book of Acts, and it's about the beginning of the church. It's how, how Christianity got its start. In the first chapter of that book, you find out that Mary was with the disciples of Jesus. The disciples who went into hiding when Christ was crucified and they saw him die. The the same men who who devoted the rest of their lives telling others about about Christ's resurrection. The, The same men who died telling others about the hope that can be theirs in Christ. And she was there with the brothers of Jesus. Her other sons who didn't believe that Jesus was God's son until after his resurrection. Those brothers of Jesus who who gave the rest of their lives telling others about the hope that can be theirs in Christ. You see, Mary was there the day the church began. I love thinking about how amazed Mary's been for all of these years in heaven knowing that what began with with a handful of disciples has grown into a church numbering millions and millions of people, all because of Christ's death and resurrection. Oh, it was a holy night. God's Son was born. It was the night of our dear Savior's birth. (laughs) A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.